In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Merry Christmas. If we were to do a poll about what is Christmas, we would probably get all different types of answers, no doubt. As I thought about the answer to this question because of the poem that I'm going to finish this sermon with, my childhood came to my mind, and I remember as a child of the 60s and the 70s being handed the Sears and Roebuck catalog for Christmas by my mom, and she would say, Stuart, circle the things that you want, and they would probably get most of them. And uh, so that was a good deal. Well, you all remember the Sears and Roebuck catalog, if you're anywhere close to my age, and how exciting it was because they had all the latest toys, all the latest gadgets. They just had everything a kid could ever dream of. And so I used to circle that catalog just longing desiring, lusting for the toys in that catalog. My first experience of lust was at the Sears and Roebuck catalog. <laughs> so what is Christmas? For me, it was toy time and just couldn't wait to get downstairs on Christmas morning for the toys. But technically, the real answer of what Christmas is, is it is the worship of the one born in Bethlehem, and that's what we're obviously here to do. We are here to worship, to adore, to reflect on the one who is our Lord and our Savior born in Bethlehem. For others, though, Christmas may be just about the consumer aspect of giving and receiving gifts. It could mean just an inescapable holiday where secular and religious people feel even more lonely and isolated and depressed than normal. And they really can't wait to get all of it right on through so they can go back to their other routines that seem to get them by. Well, for those of robust faith and trust, this night is, of course, a profound night for us for those with open hearts who maybe even wish that this story was true or hope that it's true and haven't crossed over into true faith, this night can be very important. On this holy night, we again celebrate the birth of Christ, the light of the world, who shines eternally and triumphantly amidst the darkness, Bow your head in humility before this great and mighty wonder and ask Christ into your heart that he may born in you, be born in you again to be the light and the love of your life. So says a brother monk, Jeffrey Tristram, uh, who is the Society of uh, Jesuits. Well, Christmas is not only the worship, but Christmas is, in fact, a story. It is a story, in fact, that actually begins at the resurrection of Jesus. Let me explain that. The resurrection of Jesus was experienced and witnessed by hundreds of people, so says Paul and others, and so this real experience of Jesus, crucified, dead, buried, and then alive again, 
in a resurrected form that no one can understand really fully was something that was experienced. And as they experienced that, they began to uh, achieve a tradition. And finally, those things were written down in the Gospels. So the story of Christmas was written after, of course, the resurrection. And it was written in Matthew and Luke. And that's the only places that you find it in the Gospels. Now, this story was written after the resurrection and after a long review of all of the story of Israel and the writings of Israel, the, the Torah and the Psalms, the writings and the historians of all the, uh, the, uh, the people of Israel. And so they sifted through all of those things and they saw things that they didn't see before when they read those stories. Have you ever watched a movie for the second time? Have you ever watched a movie for the third time? If you do that, you see things that you didn't pick up the first time. Why? Because you know how the story ends. And you start to wonder about the pieces that you missed that were foreshadowing the end of the story, that were pointing towards the story. And so the story of Christmas is the summary of the rereading of the story and the writings of Israel and then put in an order because they knew that the one who was crucified and who had died was indeed the very image of the invisible God. Jesus, crucified and risen, was the tangible, personal, bodily image of God. And so this Christmas story the greatest story ever written. And if you don't really know the story, you should invest some time to read this story. It is the best story ever written. It's the best story ever told. This story begins, though, at the resurrection, after a careful review of the history of Israel. There are some traditions in the church that Luke even interviewed Mary the mother of Jesus, or at least had access to some of her memoirs, and that is a very fascinating thing to ponder. In 1863, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow was listening to Christmas bells. These Christmas bells were ringing uh, just six months after the Battle of Gettysburg. The nation was divided by politics by power, by slavery, by different ways and visions of life, by whether things should be federal or states. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Well, as the nation at that time mourned its dead, Wadsworth uh, Longfellow ached with pain for his uh, wounded son. And as he listened, the bells inspired these words from Longfellow. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And thought how, as the day had come, the belfries of all Christendom had rolled along the unbroken song of peace on earth, 
goodwill to men. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks this song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Well, we know that things are not right. We know things are not right in us. We know things are not right in others, and we know that things are not right in this world. Yet, Christmas, the story, is the story of the beginning of salvation. The beginning of salvation. In this story, the way all stories work is really, it's like a film. It's like a film. If you're a filmmaker, you take many, many shots but only the final cut gets made into the movie that actually is called the movie. Because anything that goes on the cutting room floor, anything that didn't work, all the edits, all the bloopers and the blunders, those are left out. It's only the final cut that actually becomes the film. It actually becomes what is the movie. Well, God comes in Jesus to live out for us the final version of humanity. God in Jesus comes to live out the final version of humanity, to make the story of humanity work out the way God intended for it to work out in the first place. And so, God in Jesus... God, joined to our human nature, is born. Jesus is born. Jesus has a childhood. Jesus is a teen. Jesus begins to work. He has an adulthood. He begins his vocation and ministry revealing God's kingdom. He faces opposition. But Jesus courageously continues in faithfulness to his God and his vocation as the Christ. He is crucified. He shares our death. He is buried. He is resurrected. And he is ascended. What I'm trying to say is is that Jesus sums up our entire humanity, our entire human life, and offers it to God in order to begin a new humanity. That a new humanity could be born in this world, and a new humanity could be born in each one of us. And so, as we are born from above, born anew, born by Christ and the Spirit who comes to live in us, they begin to assist us in the recovery of our true humanity. They assist us to let go of the things that bind us. They are freeing from sin and the bondage finally to the ultimate defeat which is death itself. And so Jesus sums up and recapitulates and lives out all of humanity in order that he can present a new humanity and eternal life for each one of us. Well, so Christmas is the worship of Christ. Christmas is the story of salvation, the 
final version of the living out of humanity, but Christmas is also a clash of kingdoms. Uh, N.T. Wright, in a book about the Lord's Prayer, had some interesting comments recently that we covered in a men's Bible study. He mentioned that by the time Jesus was born, Caesar Augustus had already been the monarch of the entire Roman Empire, which covered a vast array of lands all around the Mediterranean, all the way to Britain, uh, Spain, uh, all the way to Jerusalem, uh, Egypt, uh, much of the known world. But Augustus had already been the monarch of the Roman Empire for 25 long years. He himself was the king of kings, ruling such a vast territory. No one else had extended the peace of Rome as he did. But of course, the peace that Augustus would offer was something that cost other nations cash. They were taxed. The only reason they had a peace is because they agreed to pay a tax. And if they didn't pay the, ta the tax, then they would be invaded and killed. And that's how empires work, you see. And they've always worked that way, and they still work that way. Nevertheless, he had a peace that was consistent with his own empire and the myth of his own glory. So there you have it in a nutshell, N.T. Wright says, the whole ambiguous structure of human empire, a kingdom of absolute power, bringing glory to the man at the top, and peace to those on whom his favor rests. Well, then comes the other story. Then comes the Christmas story. It becomes clear that two kingdoms, kingdoms that are destined to compete, kingdoms that offer radically different definitions of what peace and power and glory are, are about to clash. The story of Jesus and the kingdom of God is going to clash against the story of Caesar and the kingdom and empire of Rome. And we know how that turns out. And so Christmas is God's kingdom. It's God's kingdom coming to us in the King Jesus. It's the revelation of God's kingdom and power and glory. But it is a kingship that is exercised by the goodness of God for the good of all. It is power. It is God's power. But God's power is not the threat to kill. Rather, it is the power of sacrificial love. And it's God's glory, which is the sharing of God's own life through the king who brought about the new humanity that has renewed all of us and made it possible for us to share in the glory of God, in the life of God. And that's the sacramental life. So this story ends with the kingdom of God and the renewal of humanity. And that's why this kingdom and this story is so beloved and so faithfully lived out. I want to end with a poem, as I mentioned, 
The title of the poem is Christmas Is. The author of this poem is Jane Lester Elwood. And it was one of the first poems that Dick found after her passing recently. And I thought it was so beautiful that I wanted to share it with you. Christmas is the bread and the wine poured out for those who come. It is the circling up of all we are, the best, the worst, and kneeling at the creche. It is the blessing of relationships, those present here and now and yet to come, those printed in our minds, though faded from the years. The joy of it, the pain of it, the sweetness of the tears that blind us, bind us silently to all that Christmas is. <laughs>